Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our pop punk, punk rock, horror punk pajama party. Welcome to Frankenstein podcast from Planet 13. That's a better version of what I said, but welcome to it anyway. Hmm. Should we start again? It's up to you. Nah, let's keep it rolling. So this is a podcast where every week we celebrate a horror punk song and the film that inspired it, or a film that in some way connects to it. So what have we got up this week? Well, we just watched uh, the Vincent Price film, 1958's The Fly. It's not a Vincent Price starring film, he's a sort of... Oh yeah, we're going to get into that. (laughs) Secondary, tertiary character, but um, yeah, so we just finished watching that. And we're going to pair that with a song by The Cramps called Human Fly. Buzz, buzz, buzz. And it's just because. So this was a pick of yours. Yes. Tell me about The Cramps. Okay, so we've already talked on the podcast about what is and isn't horror punk uh, when we talked about Zombina and the Skeletons. And The Cramps, I feel, are another one of those bands. I believe, actually, they originally came up with the term Psychobilly, uh, which did become a genre, but they're more... They're referred to sometimes as garage punk. Yeah, they're, they're one of the, the original sort yeah. of like New York uh, punk bands, uh, like the Ramones and Blondie and... Yeah, the CBGBs. Yeah, they're from the CBGB scene. They've got a very strange sound that can go from... Again, like surf rock to punk rock to kind of classic rock and roll to blues, uh, but all with a very weird lilt to it, very strange, bizarre kind of circus sideshow flavour. Very much kind of a B-movie influence, uh, which once a while it's certainly the case that they are not technically a horror punk band. They're too early for that. this this is, I would say, a horror punk song. It's a horror punk song. It's a... Okay, so, are they a punk band? Well, yes, they are. They're the ultimate DIY band. Yeah, very much. Uh, I've got a huge soft spot for the cramps. You know, loads of reasons. They were a husband and wife team. Yep. And it's about a horror film. Yes. Now, I'm, I'm not going to complicate matters here. One plus one is two. It's a punk band doing a punk song about a horror film. It's horror punk. We've got a piece of horror punk on our hands. Fight me. <laughs> fight me on the internet. I'm I'm not here to fight anyone on the internet. Um, and yes, their song Human Fly, which, right, I have a lot of trouble with the Cramps. I own a lot of Cramps records. I listen to the Cramps a lot. I never really have any idea sort of what is an official release and what isn't an official release. Yeah, so I was trying to unpick this today. Yeah. This was released as a single in 1978. Right. Uh, I believe that it then first appeared on a 1983 collection of B-sides called Off the Bone, which I think we have on vinyl, but I think the one we have is a booty. Yeah. And then it it also appears on Bad Music for Bad People. Yeah, excellent album cover. Yeah, and it, I love that cover. Uh, that's been the inspiration for all the graphic design for all the posts that I've been making this week about this episode because uh, it's all this black, black and yellow. Yeah. It looks really cool. 
Um, but yeah, also anytime you pick up a cramps bootleg, that human fly is usually on there. I think we pro- I think we have nine cramps records. I think fewer than half of them are official pressings. Yeah, and I think more than half of them have a version of human fly. Yeah, it's it's one of the signature songs, rightly so, because it really does encapsulate the kind of boneheaded sort of bizarro world that the cramps inhabit. Um, yeah, it's super like creepy. It has got that surf rock sound in the guitars. I mean, I'm definitely not a music expert, but there's something in that sound. It was um, it was backed with Surfing Bird on the original release, right? Yeah, and it's got the same kind of energy. Yeah, Poison Ivy uses her. Poison Ivy's the guitar player for the Cramps. Um, she's the wife in the husband and wife duo. Uh, yeah, she uses an insane amount of reverb or echo, I'm not sure which, on her guitar on this, which gives it a very sort of, uh, what, what would you call it, like a ghostly sound? It's kind of creepy and tropical at the same time. Yeah, it's creepy tropical. <laughs> Tiki creepy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the song itself is, I mean, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. It's about being a human fly. It's about being this sort of disgusting, half-insect, half-man, humanoid creature. He's got 96 tears and 96 eyes. He's got a garbage brain. He's got a garbage brain. I, I, you know what I love about this? I wanted to try and re- replicate it on this podcast, but I'm not going to be able to. Is that they utilise, again, this is so punk rock, the vocal effect of him just singing really close to the microphone to make the noises in the chorus. Mm. When he's doing the buzzing sound of the yeah. fly. He does a kind of buzz, 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 but he puts his lips right on the microphone and sort of distorts it naturally. That's so cheap and nasty, but I love it. I mean, if you ever watch any Cramps live footage, Lux Interior didn't just put his lips on the microphone. (laughs) He would frequently put the microphone entirely inside his mouth. Or his pants. (laughs) Yeah, his mouth, if you were lucky. (laughs) The... As, as Andy sort of already said, like the cramps are a raw, were, uh, Lux sadly died in the early 2000s. He didn't die, he just went home. <laughs> uh, a, a raw punk act that were just doing things that no one else was doing and, you know, kind of game changers that maybe, as you said, you know, they, they're the same kind of era as the Ramones, in my opinion, as influential as the Ramones, don't really get the same. Uh, credit. No, and that's how you know they're great because they're. Yeah, and that's too how you great. know they're really punk. You can't buy a Cramps T-shirt at Primark. No, the posers can't get on board with the Cramps like they can with the Ramones. Uh, not that Ramones aren't great. Also, there's nothing wrong with buying your punk T-shirts at Primark. You do you. I'm not here to shame people. Just like there is something particularly special about them to me, and they carried on doing what they were doing for 40 years. And you know you've just you you've got to hold your hands up and say that rocks. That rocks. That kicks ass. Maybe steal the t-shirts from Primark. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this one of the things that we watched in preparation for this was uh, like a 1978 like black and white, I think shot on Super 8 promo film that the Cramps made with one of their art school friends, I guess, for this song. And in the film, uh, we see. Lux Interior doing some kind of like demented science experiment on himself where he injects himself 
in the neck and uh, and turns into a monster. Yep. Now, do we feel that's got any relevance to the film we watched this evening? <laughs> <laughs> I think it possibly does. I think there's a possible influence there because have we already said the film that we watched? We've watched this. We evening? have. Yeah. We yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because the film, The Fly, with Vincent Price. And some other goober who is in the film for more than Vincent Price. Doesn't Where he know does it's he June? Get off. <laughs> um, who was that guy, by the way? I, I assume you've got the the website open on your laptop. Oh, yeah, let's um, just co- cover for me, oh. cover for me. Vamp! Oh, vamp. <laughs> okay, so we watched The Fly, 1958, uh, starring Vincent Price in colour, which I didn't realise it was going to be, making this the second colour feature that we've had on our podcast so far, with one being Hammer Horror's Dracula. Uh, a big departure from the last two Vincent Price films we've seen, which we're going to get into shortly. Um, and we only watched it for the first time mere hours ago. So I'll start by saying that the lead role that we were talking about was played by someone named David Hedison, who was credited as Al Hedison. And then I'm going to ask you, was The Fly what you thought it was going to be? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It was nothing like I thought it was going to be. So can you explain to me a little bit about what you thought it was going to be and why you thought it was going to be that? Okay. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot more of a kind of what I will colloquially term a monster mash movie um, with Vincent Price turning into a man with a fly head. And running around causing mayhem and havoc. Uh, what it is, is quite a slow burn movie told primarily in flashback um, about a, a husband who is a scientist and creates a machine. And, you know, the teleporting aspects and the fly getting into the teleporter, I expected that. Uh, you give me a knowing look, I think, because you're expecting me to say, rightfully so. That everything I knew about the fly, or thought I knew about the fly, came from the Simpsons Halloween uh, horror special episodes. I just feel this has been a complete theme of this podcast for me, is that I'll watch a classic horror and be like, oh, I know what this is. And it's because I've seen it parodied on The Simpsons. On the Simpsons. <laughs> Simpsons did it. Yeah. Um, the Simpsons was a lot more succinct than this film. Yeah, it takes its time. All those... In some instances, not not as funny. There's some real unintentional hilarity in this film. Yes, yeah. There was definitely some moments where I was yeah, if, laughing. If you do watch this film, expect a slow burn. But when you make it to the last fifteen minutes, oh boy! <laughs> yeah, they ramp up the insanity. So yeah, I felt exactly the same. This film was not at all what I expected. I was expecting kind of a, a campy. I guess Monster Mash is right, because I was expecting a, like, working in the lab late one night. Well, there is a lot of that. Yeah, that's true. You know, sending China plates, well, Japanese plates, uh, through a teleporter, but they come out saying, Eid in Anjap, or whatever. (laughs) Um, And it, oh, oh, dude, dude, we've got to talk about the kitty cat. The the little kitty cat? I'm going to go Little Dandelo? I'm going (laughs) to... Okay, new segment just for The Fly and possibly the film we do next as well. But I'm going to start it now. This segment is called What Happens to the Animals in This Movie? (laughs) 
So there's two animals featured in the play. Uh, there's three animals featured in the play. <laughs> you're right, you're right. There's also a titular animal. You have forgotten about the titular fly. <laughs> okay, okay. Sure. <laughs> so as you've already mentioned, there is... Now you heard it as a dandelo. Yes. I originally heard it as dandelion, and then I heard it as bandolo, which I assumed was a sort of Spanish guitar. Uh, but I think you're probably right, it's probably Dandolo, is a kitty cat. little fluffy kitty cat. Very cute. The family pet. Beloved. Uh, the son of the of this three-person family really likes this cat. Um, what happens to Dandolo? Well, in a moment of excitement, uh, Andre, the scientist character, puts Dandolo in... His massive transporter in his uh, in his machine that he's developed that's kind of like a teleporter. Um, having not tested it on anything alive ever before, his immediate thought is that the family cat is the way to go. Yep. He's done a plate. He's done a newspaper. Time to do a cat. Uh, and the experiment goes wrong uh, because while the bowl of milk that he put in the transporter with the cat is moved... The cat does not reappear and is instead vaporised. <laughs> and then he doesn't tell anyone. <laughs> you hear it meowing mm. as if it's on some like ethereal, like some other dimension. It's a bit like the poltergeist. It's like, meow. Walk into the light, kitty cat. And they've but- got a ghost cat. Yeah. Okay, so animal one in this movie. What happens to that animal? We don't know. We don't know. It gets discombobulated. Sent into the ether. Never gets recombobulated. Later on in the movie, he mentions to his wife, like, I'm really sorry, like, I've figured out the transporter, we're going to be rich, this is going to change humanity. I did vaporise the cat and didn't tell anyone. And he says, it would be funny if life wasn't so sacred. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe my favourite line. And I think at that point, actually, he demonstrates that the second animal. he's worked the kinks out. And he, he picks up, I can still hear its little pip squeaks. He picks up a literal guinea pig and sh- and shows off to his wife, doesn't he? That this guinea pig can go zoop, zoop, from one room to another. The poor thing looks traumatised. Yeah, I was, I not to be like a bummer, but I was thinking quite a lot when watching this film. Like, it was the 50s, they weren't that fussed about not harming the animals. The guinea pig didn't look very happy. No. Um, and then the third animal... Is the fly. The fly. Which they put tipex on, which is also perhaps not best <laughs> practice. Yeah. yeah, so one of the key uh, features of this film, one of the key story beats, is that... The... Okay, I'm going to get into it. Andre gets in a transporter... But he doesn't realise there's a fly in there with him. His matter gets discombobulated. The fly's matter gets discombobulated. When they re-emerge in the other transporter, the matter sort of gets put together wrong by, I don't know, God or the universe or something. Uh, and as we all know from poor Bart Simpson, he becomes half man, half fly, while the fly becomes half fly, half man. Um, and yeah, to... To sort of show that there's a fly buzzing around the house with a human head and a human arm, they put 
tipex on a housefly. Yeah, it's um, it's not the best effect I've seen. I mean, later in the film they do more of a sort of compositing thing. Oh, we'll get to that. We're going to get to the final 15 minutes of the film later. Absolutely bonkers. Yeah, talk about a roller coaster that took a long time. Click, 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 you're going up and it's going to be good. When it does get to the top, it goes. <laughs> it goes, doesn't it? So can I ask, I haven't. Have you seen the Cronenberg fly from the 80s? Nope. So I wonder how much of our expectations about this film come from parodies of that rather than parodies of this. Because one of the things I was point. expecting to see was... Was Jeff Goldblum. Was Jeff... <laughs> <laughs> Infant Jeff Goldblum. Um, no, was the actual moment when Andre went through the transporter. But actually, because yeah. this is all told in flashback by Helen, his wife, we don't see that. We only see the aftermath when he's sort of hiding away. He wears a, a cloth over his head for most mm. of the movie. He communicates by typing on a typewriter. And then passing the notes to his wife. And it's all pretty suspenseful. It is. I, quite, I really like that. And he's typing and he's losing his mind, isn't he? He's, yeah. He's... He's also got a fly arm, <laughs> you know, like a lobster claw. Yeah, the fly arm was pretty funny. I actually wanted to talk a little bit about the effects. I don't know if you want to leave that till a bit later on. Mm, what are we up to? We're just on what happens to the animals in the movie. Yeah, let's get into the effects. I was pretty blown away by the fly makeup when it was revealed. They, they... They certainly held it back. It wasn't until... It was 20 minutes before the end, maybe even less, before you actually see yep. the fly makeup. And I'd seen some like promotional stills from this film and stuff, and I was expecting one thing. Something hokey, weren't you? Yeah, I was expecting it to be a bit hokey. Like a big papier-mâché. It yeah. was absolutely bonkers. It was so good. It had all these tiny little moving parts. Like It yeah. was really disgusting. Yeah, it was. It had this kind of um, iridescent like sheen on the eyeballs. Mm-hmm. It was it was really really well done. I would say that was one of the coolest effects in a film that we've watched for this podcast. Yeah, I knew we were on something different. So for Vincent Price Month, we did The Tingler and we did House on Haunted Hill, which both start strong and they both keep the pace. And there's sort of scares within the first few scenes. I knew of this one that as soon as we saw that body mangled in the press. Hydraulic press, yeah. You, I was like, oh, we're onto a different kind of movie here. This is a different kind of film. Uh, it, it was, I mean, it, it's not graphic how we know. It's not like brain dead levels of gore. No. <laughs> but it's certainly gorier than House on Haunted Hill or The Tingler. Yeah, you see some blood. He's, and there's the implications, body yeah. The, the implications, <laughs> uh, you know, because they talk about it, it. They did the hydraulic press and crushed his his skull and his arm twice. Why did they do it twice? And you're like, oh, this is kind of brutal. This is menacing, um, and it does it builds suspense throughout the film. So when they do reveal the effects at the end, I think they're extra impactful. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I'm. I'm Pretty sure this has probably just come across from how I've talked about it, but the thing that surprised me most about this film was that it was very, very good. Mm. Like, we've watched tons of films and, you know, old horrors, like, 
at this point. This is episode eight. We're, you know, eight pre-1960 horrors deep. Yeah. We've seen ones of varying quality, of very different styles. This was something quite different in that it was just a good film. The story of it was good. The way it was told was like ambitious and creative and you know i was expecting one thing i knew roughly what the story was a scientist messes up and gets blended with a fly i thought that certainly the story would like focus on him and be sort of told from his viewpoint almost Mm. and they did such a different thing with the framing and so much of the tension actually comes from is the wife going to be found to be insane yeah is she going to be found to be a murderer you know, these are all really different sources of tension from just like, is he, you know, is the scary, ugly scientist going to scare his wife, which is what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all, and it was much better for it, actually. It was, it was a much more accomplished film than I was expecting. It was a surprisingly emotional piece. Yeah. I, I don't know if you felt this, but like, it was a little bit of, um, it was very tender. Like, yeah. It was a, a real sort of portrait of a, a married couple who were very ride or die. Yeah, in, in complete uh, counterpoint to the married couples we've seen in the last two Vincent Price <laughs> movies. This couple really loved each other. They had a really happy home life. They had a young son who was a pain in the ass, but they seemed to love him anyway, so God bless them. Um, but they definitely loved each other a great deal. And then when they do start to break down because the husband has had this tragic sort of mishap, it sucks. It sucks to watch. You feel for it. It pulls on your heartstrings. Cause... It, it definitely does. But I was just so struck by the character of Hilatin, who's, you know, again, we watch a lot of these 50s movies. Women get portrayed one type of way, generally. Like, they're not um, very tough. They're not very resourceful. There are some exceptions, you know. Um, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, and... Uh, Doc, Dr. Pat from them, they're both like science types. They're... Yeah. But she was different. Like She's a, a wife, a mother. She she plays quite a traditional role, but when shit hits the fan, Helen is just there to do it. Like, yeah. She, she... she brings him rum and milk when he wants rum and milk, and then he, he puts his towel over the rum and milk, and he sucks it up like... And it's Ooh, really... some ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> But it's kind of creepy, though. Yeah, I mean, she's she's very frightened, but she's so, like, resolute, and she she just doesn't give up because she loves her husband. And I just, I don't know, I, I found it really touching in a weird way. Like, yeah, same. Yeah, it had a heart to it, and it, it gave it that extra level of, what would you call it, like, pathos? Yeah, yeah. You became more invested in the characters because of that, so when... I mean, we are getting into like end of the film spoiler territory here. So when, you know, things go wrong and... Well, I suppose at the very start of the film they show you that he, he gets crushed in the hydraulic press. When her husband, she kills him to... On his instructions. On his instruction because he can't be saved. It, yeah, it pulls at your heartstrings. Definitely. Yeah, it's um, it's a really surprisingly cool film before we start talking about the end the i just wanted to make one last like very tiny observation 
Doesn't it really surprise me that this whole film was set in Montreal and everyone in it is French-Canadian? Yeah, I had no idea that was going to be the case whatsoever. <laughs> when I first... So again, I think we mentioned this in a previous uh, podcast episode. We, we rent most of these films on Amazon Prime. When I rented it and paid for it and then it started being very French, I was like, oh, crap, I've somehow rented a French edition. <laughs> <laughs> And I was re- actually, I was really confused for a long time if I'd even rented the right film because it did not feel how I was expecting the film to feel at all. It took a long time before it even got to the laboratory and it was like, okay, they're in a lab. I can see that fly stuff is going to happen. Um, and that's also the time when they kind of abandoned Vincent Price for a good, what, 45 minutes of the movie? Yeah, he definitely doesn't play as significant a role as I thought he, he would. Like, he bookends the film. Yeah, I knew that he wasn't the the lead. I knew he wasn't the person who gets the flight going in. But I did still think he was going to be more of a significant character than he was. It's still like, you know, it's Vincent Price month, so I think we should talk about his performance. I really enjoyed seeing this version of Vincent Price. Grandad Price. Yeah, I mean, he's actually younger here than he is in um, House on Haunted Hill or The Tingler. What, really? Yeah, it was made the year before. It was in colour. Yeah, I was budget, not uh, not technology. Crazy. He he seemed older. He he seemed like uh, just he had his cardigan. Maybe it's, he just reminded me of my own granddad. He just played a much kinder, more sort of fatherly... Yeah. role, I think. You know, like in The Tingler, he's a, a good guy in The Tingler, but he's still got some very sinister moments. And obviously in House on Haunted Hill, he's he's very sinister. In this, he was just a, in this, he's a kind, a... well-meaning man in love with his brother's wife. Yeah, I was just going to say, he was in love with his brother's wife. And and nothing really happens about that. Like, that, it's... Well, I suppose when he betrays her at the end, because he lies to her to get her to tell the story about what happened with the transporter by saying... She makes him promise that he's got the white-headed fly. And when he does promise that he has that, she says, okay, I'll tell you the story of what happened and why I killed my husband then. Unfortunately, he lies and he doesn't have that fly in his possession. So the police turn up and they arrest her and treat her as if she's criminally insane. Um, when she's just told her, told Vincent Price this story to sort of exonerate herself, because uh, she didn't kill a man, she killed a thing, and it's not a crime to kill a thing, apparently. But they go outside and they see in a spider's web the white-headed fly. But it's uh, it's grown. It is no longer just a normal fly with some tipex on it. It is a. Man, head, arm, fly. Yeah, and this has been done by, like, compositing. uh, And they use the same actor that portrayed Andre. uh, Along with a lot of real up-close shots of a spider. Very reminiscent of them. And the Mm. ants, I felt. (laughs) A big, furry, hairy spider. And uh, Andre, who, to really emphasize the fact that he's fly-sized. Else looks like this! Help me! Help me! What's the opposite of ASMR? <laughs> <laughs> this podcast. Um, yeah. What did you think of the police officer's reaction when he saw this taking place? So this police officer who's 
spent basically the whole film believing that Helene is insane and that she killed her husband and, you know, this whole story about the fly is just nonsense. The second that he sees the the man fly, uh, just picks up a rock and fucking squashes it. <laughs> and <laughs> does not a, hesitate. It is a bowling ball sized rock. I know. And it's a so spider unnecessarily and a large. fly. It's a spider and a fly and he's just like, Mon Dieu! <laughs> Smash! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Vincent Price, here's what we're going to do. We're going to create this story now where you say you operated the machine previously. I say that actually she was... She just stumbled upon her husband who committed suicide. We're going to get her off a murder charge. <laughs> we'll just forget about the fly. No one saw anything. Happy ending. Movie credits roll. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, actually, no. Doesn't it end with... It ends with Vincent Price getting with his brother's wife. He doesn't get with her. Like, he sort of steps into his brother's shoes in terms of fathering his child, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um... So, but yeah, I mean, as you said, this movie ends at a mile a minute, and it's so different from everything else, which is like, you know, like we said, kind of a relationship study, lots of like building tension, not too much reliance on the special effects until the reveal of the, the fly mask, all really, really like tensely paced, and, you know, and mostly not certainly not intentionally funny or anything. And then you just have this scene out of nowhere <laughs> with the with the man fly and getting squashed with a rock. And then Vincent Price and the police officer just like, okay, we've got to cover this up, man, because if she's a murderer, then I'm a murderer. <laughs> so I just killed that guy with a rock. <laughs> okay, I've got a new segment for you. Man, the segment's coming thick and fast. Yeah, well, I'm not even going to bother this week, I don't think, with Would You Kiss the Monster? Yes, unfortunately I wouldn't kiss the monster. No, and Would You Eat the Monster? Also, no, because, I mean, you wouldn't eat a fly and I wouldn't eat a man. So, what I want, I need to actually get a sort of flip chart. I envision a flip (gasps) chart. A flip chart! Or or something. A leaderboard. Mm. Because I want you to rate against the other ones we've seen in the podcast, the Mad Scientist Laboratory. Oh, we're doing it's lab rank. It's lab rank. I like that. Okay, remind me some of the labs we've seen. We've seen Doctor Frankenstein's Tower Lab in Bride of Frankenstein. Yes. We've seen. I guess it was kind of a lab on the boat in Black Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had some science things. Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, there's a lab in them. In the Tingler. There's a lab in the Tingler as well. Yeah. Okay. Worst lab is the lab from Creatures in the Black Lagoon. Even though it's on a boat. Even though it's on a boat, it's just not very well equipped. Okay. Uh, And the thing that they had to contain the creature had, like, a bamboo lid on it. (laughs) And he just sort of got out of it. Yeah, why did they have that? What are the implications of them already having that? You just can't stop thinking about the implications. <laughs> On a boat. I know. <laughs> Seriously, that joke's like 10 years old. No one knows. Um, then after that, I think probably the lab from them. Kind of boring. Yeah. Tingler lab's quite boring as well, I feel. I quite liked the Tingler lab for a couple of reasons. Uh, it's got an x-ray machine. It's got acid. It's got a skeleton. Yeah, it does have a skeleton. 
then then the lab from the fly lots of cool technology in it and i loved all the neon tubes that they were always showing yeah okay so you're ranking the bride of frankenstein lab number one yeah that's my top tier lab that makes perfect sense but let's talk about the lab from the fly a little bit more because this was a film that we watched in full color yes and that lab had i think neon lights yeah and i thought that was quite cool yeah it was awesome it really like just for like a few seconds every time they used the transporter they would cut to these neon green and blue uh like neon tubes that just looked yeah. amazing and it looked so modern they had like is it plexiglass or something as well yeah Which... and there was lots of just like light up panels and stuff it was awesome yeah it was kick ass and they they actually had the same safety goggles i think just in a darker tint as the goggles from them that they were in the, when they're in the desert yeah, that's true, actually. The, those classic 1950s goggles. Gotta get me some of those. Yeah, you look good. Thank you. I wear them on the bus. <laughs> well, you don't want to get people coughing in your eyes. You see, this is why we've got to invent transporters. Oh, so that we don't have to take the bus. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, like, instead of a would you kiss the monster this week, would you use the science? Oh, yeah, I like this idea. Absolutely, 100% no. You wouldn't use a transporter. I, we're no. running the risk of getting into some philosophy now. So, well, the way that he described it in the film was that for one, like, fraction of a microsecond, you're completely non-existent, and then you're, like, reassembled. No way! Yeah. There's no way, man. Seems pretty risky. And also, know... yeah, it poses, like, a philosophical problem. I'm yeah. not into it. I, I try and live a life without philosophy. That's, ironically, my personal philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, we've got Human Fly by the Craps. Yeah. We've got The Fly, starring Vincent Price. How do you feel like they pair together? Unsurprisingly, I love this pairing, but I was surprised by why I liked it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, going in, I knew I loved Human Fly. Love the cramps. Think it's a particularly great song because of like, it's about being gross and dirty, and the song itself is kind of gross and dirty. Yeah, it's nasty. It's nasty. It's nasty. It's gnarly. Um, so I knew that I loved that, and I was expecting one type of film. Like we said, I was expecting this kind of like, not like a caper, but like a mad scientist film where he the flies himself pretty early on and then scares a lot of people. Yeah. Which is not at all what happened. So in the same way that there's this kind of like menacing air to human fly, like it's sort of dark and creepy and like, yeah, it's got all these sounds, like Lux is just making all these weird buzzing sounds and stuff. Uh, Actually, that's something I wanted to say about the film is that really often the director just inserted like, fly buzzing into the scene in a way that I just thought was really effective and made you, like... It always kept you on edge. I imagine that was quite good at the cinema with surround sound. Yeah. Did they have surround sound then? I'm sorry to sound ignorant. I don't know, actually. No, I surround sound ignorant. I I think they probably would have done. Yeah. I feel like people knew what they were doing with sound by the late 50s. Frank Castle probably innovated it. (laughs) William Castle? That's Frank the Castle's guy. the Punisher. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The, you know, the house on Haunted Hill and the Tingler. Yeah. You've heard of 
uh, Percepto and Emerjo. What's his surrounder? <laughs> Man, I hope I'm not wrong about Frank Castle being the Punisher. Yeah, I think he is. So yeah, I the buzzing sounds as well also make this a really cool pairing. And I also just love the choice of song for something that's a bit out there for, you know, a, a horror punk podcast. Like, expanding our horizons a little bit without coming too far out of our wheelhouse. Yeah. One thing, so I, I've listened to that song for years, and now watching that film, I have a bigger appreciation for the song. Because I feel like it's written from the perspective of Andre. 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 Towards the end of the film, he's losing his mind over to that of the fly. Yeah, he's losing his humanity. He's losing his humanity. Yeah, this is almost like an Andre who embraced being the fly. Yeah, well, I think if Andre didn't get crushed in that hydraulic press and went on to live another day, this is what we'd get in the cramped song Human Fly. This is the mindset that that person would have. Because we see him writing on a chalkboard, uh, you know, like thoughts, difficult strain on brain love you yeah oh it was so sad he's got 96 tears in 96 eyes oh yeah that was actually one other thing in the film is that they did some like segmented eye shots uh where helen is screaming and you see it from the fly's perspective in this like kaleidoscopic yeah segmented eye it was sick as hell so really good. good really good i think that this has maybe been one of the most exciting pairings that we've put together. Yeah, it's fresh. I don't always feel this way. I usually feel that the pairing's good because I think it's fun to talk about, you know, a song and a film that inspired the song. Like, I don't think you can go far wrong with that. This is a pairing where I would absolutely recommend both the song and the film. I think, like, with them, for example, I would recommend the song. I thought the film was fine, but a bit boring. Yeah. Or House on Haunted Hill. I think it's a really good film. The song's not that awesome. Like, it's it's a cool song. It's got a cool energy, but it's not like, you've got to hear this to understand what it is I love about this genre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. And I think the film's a great film to watch, uh, but do prefer to just invest 60 minutes in it before it kind of gets wild yeah but it's a good 60 minutes and it is worth investing in it for that 60 minutes because you will start to feel for the characters um but if you are looking for like a kind of group of friends let's laugh at a schlocky b movie this isn't the one yeah this isn't like a let's watch a silly 50s movie kind of thing like this is i would go so far as to say more of like an enjoyable classic yeah i'm not gonna give too much away All I'll say is that next week, Vincent Price Month concludes, and we are going to get to something that I think we've been talking about for a while. Until next time. We we belong belong dead. dead.